Welcome back to The Author Biz. I'm Stephen Campbell, and this is the show where we deliver the information you need to build a thriving and sustainable business as an author. Today's guest is Craig Martell. Craig is a best-selling author and the godfather of the indie-focused 20-books conferences that are held around the world. We last spoke with Craig in February of 2017 in episode 105, titled A Year in the Life of a Blue-Collar Author. We all know that things change quickly in the world of publishing, especially indie publishing. We'll discuss Craig's thoughts on some of what's changed for authors during the past year and a half and some of the tried and true practices that are still critical to indie publishing success today. Then we get into Craig's thoughts on growing an author business from a couple of different starting points. Of course, we'll also get into his books, including his recently published nonfiction work, Becoming a Successful Indie Author. We'll get into his writing habits and what he's learned by putting on the 20 Books conferences. I kicked this information-packed episode off by asking Craig why he, someone who builds his business by publishing the next book, decided to pause his fiction writing to publish his how-to book for indie authors. I wrote that because I was getting so many uh, private messages, direct messages, and emails regarding, hey, could you help me with this? So I thought, hey, let me just write a book, and then we'll we'll forestall all those questions, and in the end, it will give me more writing time. And actually, it was successful from that standpoint. Really? <laughs> yes. All right. Um, I, I was expecting you to give some great "I'm just giving back to the author community" kind of answer, and I had all kinds of other questions prepared from that. But this is something different. You did it at the same time. I I, I did it not. Uh, uh, not selfishly, I, th- I thought it, well, it is actually selfishly, it was to buy myself more time as well as give back. Because a lot of people said, do you do need to, hey, write this stuff down, let us know. And there are there are a lot of books out there for self-publishing, but this was right now, it was uh, motivational as well as uh, step-by-step in some cases. And uh, I, I had 90%, well, probably 70% of the material already. So I just organized it, added in some extra stuff. And talking about publishing, self-publishing is really, really easy. So a couple days, I was actually able to add about five to eight thousand words, in addition to my my fiction stories mm-hmm. that I was working on. So it it, it wasn't that hard. Uh, Double checked. I the biggest part was going through the beta readers and make sure I didn't miss speak because I did uh, on a couple places where I uh, wrote. Well, I was thinking one thing and wrote something else and. And uh, they caught that, and we fixed. Hopefully, we fixed all of that stuff by the current edition. It, you mentioned the the term "current edition." Is this something? Uh, you know, there's there's all this information out there about self publishing, and some of it evolves over time. Some of it some of it stays consistent. Do you expect most of what you talk about in become a, su- a successful indie author to be pretty consistent going forward? Yes, and and I do have a second edition. <clears throat> template on my screen that I can uh, reference that I'm adding stuff to. Uh, so I don't know if I'll have a, a second volume in that series or just do an updated edition. Just It just depends how many things change in, the, in a year. And when you say things change, are you talking <clears throat> about like concrete strategies or tools, things like that? M- maybe a little of both. Okay. Uh, but 
but tools, because I, t- I go through a step-by-step, here's how you upload your book to Amazon. If they change that, well, then all of that will change and need to be changed within the volume. Mm-hmm. Uh, the motivation of why and how we write and, and how we get through writer's block, th- that should stay consistent over the years. But uh, uh, the, the nitinoid details, the step-by-step checklists, mm-hmm. like ARCs, I see ARCs going away uh, in entirety because Amazon seems like they're they're really against uh, somebody giving a book away. And maybe they got in trouble with the FTC. I know me personally, authors, I don't see that as an issue where an author uh, going through a distributor like Amazon would get in trouble with the FTC. That would be Amazon's issue. Mm-hmm. And if uh, if there were allegations that Amazon was manipulating the system, then they would get in trouble with FTC, and their easy answer is, "Hey, we'll just cancel it for everybody." And uh, and, and that that I, I see that's how they're going. Okay. Now I've I've in the last ten days, I was going to say a week, but I'm pretty sure it's the last ten days. I've gotten two emails from two completely different people. One of whom was a longtime listener of the show, and this was one of those guys that listened to every author podcast back in the day. There <laughs> weren't that many. I, it would be impossible to do now, but yeah. But a couple of years ago, it was possible to listen to most of them. And this guy okay. did that. And he wrote me an email and said, hey, how you doing? I haven't talked to you for a while. I stopped listening to podcasts because how many times can you hear the same thing over and over again? And that caused me to think a little bit. And then a couple of days later, I got another email from someone I didn't know who was traditionally published. And I looked him up. He's, he's had some pretty good success, but he sees – the writing on the wall and knows that he's going to need to at some point begin to learn how to self-publish and he wanted a series of author biz interviews essentially uh step by step how to do it and he said you know i've i've gone through some of the old episodes but everything's changed and so those two things kind of munge together in my mind and I, I i'm curious in your mind because you've been doing this for a while not forever but for a while um, how much have the important things changed over the course of the last few years? I think some of the marketing things have changed, uh, like how you use Amazon ads, how you use Facebook ads. I think some of that stuff has changed rather significantly. But the basics of writing a good book, putting a good cover on it, doing ad copy for your blurb, and then uploading it has become easier. Uh, because you can get better feedback, but uploading Amazon has made it so simple to upload a book that you can accidentally upload the wrong book. <laughs> but that's where that's where your marketing strategy uh, comes into play, and you don't have things set up for that first day because you do need to double check what what goes out there. And uh, I, I fortunately have have uh, uploaded the right book, but I've also fortunately uploaded the right book and had more typos in there than I was comfortable with. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Which, uh, in, if if somebody finds a typo in my book and and emails me about it, I will correct it, but then I'll also give them the next book for free because uh, I don't like typos in my books. Um, but just one thing, but uploading a book, uh, doing the categories and stuff like that is really, really simple. Refining it so you, you improve your keywords, well, that's just a, a business, uh, an aspect of the business. But just getting it out there is easy. I think anybody can self-publish, and that's also a danger because mm-hmm. who determines when your book is ready? Uh, I, I know me personally, I run through a pretty significant process of which you're a, you're a key player. To get, make sure that book is exactly how I want it when it goes out. So, 
What's your timeline? I'm curious about this, and I've been involved in a lot of your books, but I've never really understood your timeline for for getting a book done. I just know that you get your books done on time. They're in great shape, and I I suspect that on time for you is a lot earlier than on time for some other people. Yes, on time for me because I edit as I go. So, yes, I do write the end and then send it to my editor within an hour or so after that. But that's because I've, I've read it as I go. I, I read back the last passage before I start the next passage. And uh, I usually have beta reader input before I type the end because mm-hmm. I, I do in-process checks. And they're great. They take care, good good care of me, making sure that the, the story is sound. And any, any typos or consistency con- – continuity errors, they check those and fix those right away or, or notify me and then I'll fix them. So I'll send it to my editor and my editor uh, is on salary. So it makes it easy. I, I, am front of the queue. Mm-hmm. I, I, I give her a heads up of two to three weeks. Hey, this book's coming. And then, uh, she gets it done within like three to seven days. And then I'll go through it, uh, with her, her remarks. I'll make those. And then that's when I send it to you for the more beta readers, uh, to, to get to. Mm-hmm. So generally from when I type the end until it's ready to be published is maybe seven or eight days. And it will have gone through uh, uh, beta readers who are also work as uh, developmental editors just to make sure the story works, uh, an editor, and then a beta reading, uh, proofreading team of, of at least 10 people who then uh, make sure that it's clean when it finally hits the street. And I'm at uh, like 2.7, almost 2.8 million words uh, published so far. So my first draft is pretty clean because Mm -hmm. practice makes perfect. I write 2,700 words every single day. Uh, I'm at 998 days writing full-time. And during that time, I keep track of every word. And I try to publish every word. I don't. I don't want to waste words. And I'm at uh, I think 2,705 words a day every day for 998 days. Now, is that because uh, I have no intention of going off in this direction? But I'm just curious because you're so specific about that number. Is that just an average that you've looked at mathematically? You go, oh, that's what I what I generally write. Or do you? Is that a goal to hit 2,700 and then you're done? No, I'm not done. I, if the story's still flowing and I have time, I keep writing. And that's how you get to an average of 2,705 words mm-hmm. uh, if, if you have like a 200-word day. Launch days require I, – I usually pump up a lot of ads, do Facebook, uh, uh, respond to reader comments. And so launch days of especially major books like you have been judged, I, I take more time away from writing to engage more with the readership and, and study and learn how did this book resonate? What do I need to do for the next book? So those were, those days might have 800 or a thousand words is all. Well, let's but talk, I write every single day. So let's talk about you have been judged and, and you use the term major book. And I can kind of see that in the preparation that you did for this and in, in some of the preliminary marketing. But what in your mind is different about you have been judged other than the fact that it's the first book in a new series than some of the other things you're writing? It is better prose. I I took great care to make sure that it flowed smoothly, that it had a good rhythm throughout the book between humor, action, uh, uh, intellect, as in some of the law and legal elements, 
which I use a lot of uh, uh, English common law, which is what I studied in law school. Mm -hmm. So I work those elements in. We have action. We have some intrigue of some other issues. We have some mystery. And and it the the rhythm and the flow, I, I worked very, very hard at that to make sure. So I call it a major book because I see this as a foundational piece in a new series and a new direction. Mm -hmm. It gave me an opportunity. Uh, Terry and Shar have done great. We have great fans. But I think after 17 books that that <laughs> series has, has pretty much run its course. I know there's a lot more stories we could tell, but the, the way the readership works and from a business perspective – uh, Bad Company 5, a subset of those who have read Bad Company 4 will pick up Bad Company 5, and that's it. Mm -hmm. So, And that subset at this point isn't anywhere near as big as the group that will pick up You Have Been Judged, which is a new way. It's it's a, it's a uh, multiple genres that are, are, are happening right now. So that's why I call it a major book, because it's a, it's a diversion into a new set of genres, it's a new taste with the legal thriller aspect within the Cartharian Gambit universe. So it is, uh, it, it's, a, it's a whole new field and a whole new market that we're going, uh, going into. Now, the old readers, uh, the, the fans, they liked it. So the way we're going to address, I'm going to move uh, uh, Judge, Jury, and Executioner 2 up to the next book that I write. Mm -hmm. And we're going to do a little crossover action, add in a little more Terry Henry and Char. Uh, just to just to uh, keep that story alive in between uh, until we can write Bad Company Five, but in the middle we're going to be doing Judge, Jury, and Executioner, and that's what makes it a major book because it's a whole new uh, uh, market as well as a whole new uh, uh, opportunity for more readers to jump into and enter the KGU. Now, for people who don't write at the pace that you write and don't have the number of books that you have, how do you very quickly, because you describe something that is intuitive, um, but I, I'm not sure that everybody out there caught it in that, it, you, let's say you've got a 10 book series and everybody <clears throat> reads the first book and a subset of those read the second book and a subset of those read the third book all the way down the line. At what point do you make the decision to say, this is it. I need to go a different direction now, like you did with Judge, Jury, and Executioner. It, it comes down to the value of the book. How much money does that book earn within the first week, which is, which is the most significant earning point? Now, uh, Nomad Found earned the, the first book that I co-wrote with Michael Anderley earned, I, I don't know, 2500 3000 the first week. Mm -hmm. But it was tentative. It didn't actually get its legs until the third in the series. Well, now that the readers know me, uh, and as we go through, uh, I think the last Bad Company book barely touched that in the first week uh, when they were generally, uh, say, 5000 to $10,000 for a week mm -hmm. in, what, in what the book made. So a very significant uh, amount of money and makes it worth it because it's a month of my time. Mm -hmm. I look at each book as a month of my time and what is that worth. Uh, so Bad Company 4... Uh, didn't do anywhere near what I wanted to uh, regarding uh, financially, but uh, Judge, Jury, and Executioner is now back up there with a, a certain value that uh, makes that month of time worthwhile, very much worthwhile. And especially with a new series, New Penetration, if it makes this much out of the gate before usually that third book is it tells people, hey, this is a real series, come on, jump on board. So even with the first book, without a second and third book, gives me a, a great deal of hope and opportunity for this to be a big winner. 
Okay. Well, let's let's break things down a little bit, and let's let's talk about two hypothetical authors who are not. Well, let, let me just describe one of those two authors. Let's say the first one is someone who's writing consistently but not really finding an audience, an indie author who's writing consistently, publishing maybe a couple of books a year and doing it for a few years, uh, but they're not finding an audience. What, what kind of specific advice would you give that hypothetical author to, to jumpstart their career? There's a couple different uh, ways to go. The first one is uh, my first four books were in three different series. We're in three different genres. <laughs> Don't do that. So if you've got six books that you published over three years and they're in six different genres, you're going to have issues. Now, if you've got if your six books are in the same series, then you need to do a business analysis of it. Well, how did the first book do? Well, how many reviews? What kind of reviews? How did the second book do? What was that buy through? And then once you got three, four books out in the series, if you ran sales on the first book, now what was your read through and your buy through? Uh, that could be telling because there's some people who did great mm -hmm. with book one. Uh, and then out of 100 readers on book one, they put out book two and 20 readers picked up book two. That suggests there might be a structural issue with your book one, that you got it into people's hands, but they didn't like it. They didn't like it enough to continue the series. And I, I see that more often than other things, that, uh, that there could be just minor issues. And this is where I would suggest find a developmental editor and go back through that first book and, and then study it and see. It may be sound and you're not finding the right audience because you've misgenred it. Like my first book, I, I put it in the wrong genre. So uh, if you want to uh, uh, find teen girls as your genre readership, uh, it's not enough to just exist is a great title. But if you're using that title for a post-apocalyptic survivalist book, you're not going to find your audience with the teen girls because none of them will buy it. Uh, uh, and I know this firsthand. So... Getting that alignment is is important. So how are you getting your book into people's hands, and how are they responding once they get it? So it's either there's an issue with the book or, or there's an issue with uh, uh, the marketing and, and finding those readers for that specific genre. But I write multiple genres. That's what I hear from people if I say, hey, you haven't found – you have to find some genre to start attacking – you can't just say, hey, well, I write across three genres. Well, I, I can't help you then. You have to pick a genre to find your readership. Uh, and then you can expand and then maybe target uh, a different genre with the same book, but with different marketing strategy. You may target men and women differently with a marketing strategy. And all of these come into play. You may change your blurb based on readership response. Uh, my second series that I wrote a lot of uh, the reviews were like, this is YA. So, hey, okay, no problem. I made it, I made it YA, and I started targeting YA. And free booksy and bargain booksy and uh, uh, BookBub ads, you can target specifically YA, young adult. So I did that, and the series took off. And this was a year and a half after I started it. Uh, and it, and it had new life. And to this day, it's still doing well, I think, because I changed it to YA. So listen to your readers. They, they tell you what you need to know. All right. You, you talked about a lot of things in there, a lot, a lot of really great information. But there might be some terms that people are not familiar with. You use the term read through. Could you sort of just describe that for someone who <clears throat> hasn't heard that before? 
Yes, uh, there's. I, I use the terms read-through and buy-through. If you're Amazon exclusive, then you're a, uh, a member of Kindle Unlimited. And read-through is how many people read the first book in Kindle Unlimited and then go to the second book. And you get paid for the page reads. Uh, buy-through is if you're if they buy the first book, will they buy the second book? And usually I, I reserve that term for wide because but you don't get page reads. People can't borrow their book, your book. All they can do is buy it. So if they buy the first book, will they buy the second book? So buy through or read through, it's comparable. It, it goes to your uh, overall ROI, return on investment. Because if you can get somebody into your book one and you have five books in a series and 100% go to two, three, four, five, all your marketing on one has to do is break even because then it's all gravy when they're buying two, three, four, five. They're buying the other books in the series. Is there a point that you would advise someone if they looked at the read-through and they <clears> said, eh, 40%? Um, is, is there a point that you would you would say, eh, it, maybe this isn't the right series, maybe it's time to just cut and try something else? Yeah, 40%, uh, especially if you're not running sales. Mm-hmm. If you have full price books, uh, your number two is full priced at four ninety nine. Number three is full price at four ninety nine, and you only have a forty percent read through. I would say you have a serious issue with your book or the series. Uh, you should have, if you can get somebody through your second book, you should be seventy eighty percent. I know it says industry standard is fifty percent, mm-hmm. but if you're below fifty percent, now you're spending a lot of money for little gain at that point. What do you hope to get between books one and two? For books one and two, because I always run a lot of marketing on books one, so I'm looking for 20% on my uh, my book one, and I, I keep uh, I keep all those. No, I'm, stats, sorry, I, so. I'm, I'm not. What do you mean by 20%? I mean read through. Yeah, uh, uh, one out of every five people who book up who pick up book one will go on to book two. Okay, all right. That, oh, because you're the, running so many so many marketing campaigns. Well, I, I have 12 different series right now, mm-hmm. and soon to be 14. So I, I look at it from a macro perspective of, uh, of series, like my uh, uh, Free Trader 1, mm-hmm. Free Trader series, my, uh, I call it my flagship series because my first real series. I'm working on book nine right now, which will be the last book in that series. I've run a lot of free. I've given away over 10,000 copies of Free Trader 1, yet 23.3% of people who pick up book one will go to book two. That's free. That's uh, oh, sale. Okay. That's gotcha. full price. So uh, one out of four. So if I can get that book into somebody's hands, I mean, that is a great number. So 23%, and that includes all of the copies, whether they sold mm-hmm. it for full price, 99 cents, or given away for free. One out of every four of those people went on to book two. And that is a huge, huge win. And then from two to three, what would you hope to see? I, I currently, for book two to three, now three was a little bit different in that genre. So I have 71.3% went to three, 80% to four, 85% to five, and then, and then so on. Uh, once, once they're in book five, it's pretty much uh, 100% to six, seven, eight, mm-hmm. nine. And that's just all I have to do is find those readers again and make sure they know the book is out is the only challenge. Otherwise, it's, it's if they've read to five, they're going to read the next ones because – they like the story. They like the characters. I'm all about the characters, man. <laughs> so, so, so once to book three, the book three is your big, uh, that is your bellwether. Mm-hmm. If you can get them into book three, you should have north of 80 to 90% uh, for any books beyond that in the same series. Okay. So our hypothetical author who's got, let's say they've got four books and 
they're looking at this and they're they're listening to you and they're like my my sell through my read through is nothing like that. Um, would you what would you advise them to do? I mean, we've talked in general, um, like you know maybe it's time for another series, but you've also mentioned things like looking at your blurb, looking at your at your categories, your genres, et cetera, et cetera. Step by step, what would you do if you've got a series that's not doing what you think it should do before <clears throat> you give up and go on and write something completely different? Oh, what a great question, uh, Stephen, because that's it goes to from once again, uh, from a business perspective, what is the least expensive in terms of time and money to do? Mm-hmm. And that's change the blurb. You have to change the you have to change the blurb. And the blurb is the easiest to change because you can go into author central and change it 10 times a day if you want to. If you want to change it and make sure it changes, well, then you go into KDP. And I'm talking all Amazon here. You go into KDP and change it. Uh, I go through draft to digital for my wide books. And so I would go there and then change the blurb if I need to. And that's I would test with the blurb first. Uh, I would tr- I would try some sales with some different genres or, or some different targeting aspects, <clears throat> and that stuff is the cheapest and easiest to do. A new cover, now that's a more major effect a ser- a series effort because it'll be your highest cost uh, in regards to just monetary outlay. And uh, also you want your brand consistent. You don't want to change book one and not change books two through six. So the more books you have, the more expensive it is to change your covers. So, But that is an option. Uh, you may want to run it through a different editor uh, or a different uh, series of readers and see what they think. Uh, and then finally, you rewrite it. If uh, you get feedback that, hey, there's just something majorly wrong with this book. You killed you killed Old Yeller in the second chapter, so uh, you suck. <laughs> and uh, you, you don't want people saying that, so you, you, you need to suck less. Uh, you can do that with uh, with that input, and you rewrite it, and then uh, and publish it again. Uh, Kevin McLaughlin, uh, my friend Kevin, did uh, one thing he did with his series. He started off with a shorter book. I think it was twenty five thousand words, uh, the first volume in that series, and it did okay. But he rewrote it and added uh, ten to fifteen thousand words and made it a full length novel, over forty thousand words, and then remarketed it, and it took off. And so that was a, that was a huge win for a rewrite to rejuvenate an old an old series. And he does his own covers, so he put new covers on it. Fantastic, and 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 doing very well. So, a shout out to Kevin for for looking at it from that perspective and adding the words that reinforced the value of that first book, and then got people in wholesale into it. Hmm. You know, it's easy for people to look at what's happening with their book. And to say, well, you know, I I don't know if I want to go through this process of maybe spending another month rewriting it or a couple weeks or rewriting the blurb because everyone's already seen it. And there is no way that that's true. The market for these, for most books, is so enormous that your idea of everyone having already seen it might be 10,000 people downloaded a, a free copy and 500 people bought a copy of the book. That's a minuscule percentage of the potential audience out there. If, if you think you've got a good story and it just, it, it just needs something to bring it out so that people yeah. will find it. Uh, that's uh, I, I realized the truth of that when I saw an ad from JK Rowling for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. <clears throat> and then I, I researched that. I'm like, why in the hell, who in the hell hasn't heard of this book and, and who in the hell would buy it? <laughs> Who doesn't already have three copies of it like we do, hardback, softback, mm-hmm. ebook, whatever? Um, 
But there was, and I read, I read a story that even as much, uh, J.K. Rowling sold a billion dollars worth of books, and she's well beyond that now. A uh, billion dollars worth of books, and her estimate is that she's touched nine percent of the reading public. So, so oh however many people you think you've touched on your ads, you're absolutely right. You haven't. If you've sold, uh, in one of the free books, I gave away forty-one thousand copies. Thank, uh, thanks to BookBub. So 41,000 copies, uh, and that is a drop in the bucket because uh, on uh, BookBub, their mailing list, they say they have millions. So uh, that's just them. That's just one entity. Uh, yeah, yeah, a billion dollars worth of books is 9% of the reading public. So uh, no, you haven't touched them. There's more market out there. You're just not reaching them, and how do you do that? And that is the forever question. Okay. Now let's let's take a separate a, a second type of author. Someone who's out there that's a modestly successful mid-list traditionally published author who sees the writing on the wall and they know that this contract that they have is going to be their last contract or the next contract is going to be for so little money that it doesn't <clears throat> make sense to take another contract and it's time to really get serious and learn how to self-publish. So presumably these people are, are skilled writers. They know how to craft a story, but that may be it. Um, what would you, what would be the checklist for them to, to really begin to understand what it takes to indie publish a book and, and to be successful? I, I, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I would say get my book. Because yeah, that's not arrogant at all because it is it is step by step because it's a step by step. And, and so you skip chapter one in how you engage your public, because now you should already have name recognition, which gives you a step up and you can write a book. You know, you can finish a book. Now, you may not know about, well, what, what about the editing? What about this other stuff? Because uh, with traditional publishers, you pretty much write the book and then you hand it over and they tell you, hey, change this and that or don't or don't. They don't even tell you what they changed, uh, just depending on your contract. And so what steps, what happens after you type the end is really it, it now you're into a different world. And how do you do that? And uh, in my book, I detail that, whether editing, whether uh, uh, what steps you need to market, whether mm -hmm. you need to pre-order. What about building a newsletter list? Hey, my name's Patrick Rothfuss, and uh, I, I, I'm going to self-publish. Holy cow. Are you kidding me? Just put that out there and mm -hmm. uh, start building your, your readership, and you'll have 10,000, 100,000 people on your email list, Patrick. Uh, and I did meet him. He, he seems like a great guy. Uh, so thank goodness to the... Uh, uh, science fiction fantasy writers of America that we get to meet people like that uh, wildly successful and if mm -hmm. he made if he made the jump he he would be wildly successful i don't know what his contracts say but that name recognition goes a long long ways and if you already have that then you are leg up on a lot of other people who are just starting out nobody knows me to buy my books well and that's everybody starts there everybody starts there now if uh uh traditional publisher throws a lot of weight behind you, well, then you get over that hump pretty quickly, but everybody has to get over that hump. And for most traditionally published authors, you've got to be pretty darn lucky to get your publisher to throw a lot of weight behind you from a marketing standpoint. Yes, and that's... If your name's not Patterson or Baldacci or something like that. Well, and J.K. Rowling. She yes. did okay until Scholastic bought it and said, we are going to commit the entirety of our marketing budget to this series. Mm -hmm. And once they did that, well, then, hey, guess what? Harry Potter became a, a, a household name. Uh, 
let's talk for a minute at this, the same traditionally published author. Uh, I hear from people who have both made the jump and who haven't made the jump yet uh, about the fears that they have. Uh, and the biggest fear is the what will my peers in the whatever their genre is, traditionally published, this particular genre, what are they going to think? How do you or, – or do you – do you have any advice for, for them? It's not it's, – it's only a competition with yourself. And this is where if you sold uh, 10,000, 20,000 books with your traditional publisher and they drop you because uh, sales have been lacking, you can laugh all the way to the bank. Because uh, your 10,000 books that you sold with the traditional publisher, you only need to sell 2,000 to self-publish to, to make the same amount of money. And everything above that is gravy. So it's really – you can laugh all the way to the bank, but you don't need to rub anybody's face in it. I think, uh, I think self-publishing, uh, you don't pay any of the middlemen. No, you may not have your book on the rack at the airport, but uh, if your name is already known, then maybe someday you will. And you figure out how to do that. But uh, laugh all the way to the bank because uh, what, what I saw at uh, SIFWA at that conference was a lot of well-known authors have day jobs. And mm-hmm. I think they also had a lot of respect for the folks like me who write full-time and do, do really well. And, and I, I am not a household name. So it's okay. It's a, it's a laugh all the way to the bank. If you have name recognition from your traditional publishing days, but then you make good money because of your self-publishing days, that, that's a win-win. And, and uh, I, I don't think there was any animosity from uh, the self-published that you have to pass, pass through that gate and, mm-hmm. and you're, you're not an author if you don't self-publish or if you don't traditionally publish. Uh, I don't think that's the case anymore. I think what we'll see from traditional publishers is that they're just going to find self-published people who are really successful and know that those books already sell and then use that to, to then hire the new authors instead of taking a risk and yeah. saying, hey, here's a seven-figure advance and you haven't written a book yet. Are you, are you kidding me? Who takes that kind of risk? And <laughs> they still are, actually. I saw one uh, – uh, a couple weeks ago, an author out of Pittsburgh, her first book got a seven-figure advance. Well, good for her. Good for her. Yes. And, uh, yes. and, and it's just a different way up that mountain of success. Yes. And there are high school basketball players who will be drafted in the first round of the NBA draft and get a multi-seven-figure contract. It's yes. just that most don't. Yeah, just most don't. That's right. Uh, and that's a, I call myself the blue-collar author because mm-hmm. I haven't had that breakout title yet. Uh, I really like the way uh, uh, you have been judged, came out of the gate and, and did well. But uh, I haven't had that breakout title where I've sold 100,000 copies of a, of a book. So I'm still looking for that, and I'm still uh, uh, trying to write better with each new word. All right. And another fear that I hear about for in the traditional world for, for making the jump is, will I be able to find editing that's anywhere close to as good as what I'm getting with, with my publisher? How will, I, how will I find a cover designer? Things like that. These are things that if you're in the indie world, even a little bit, you know the answer to these questions. But there are a lot of people who are just starting to think about this, and these are serious fears for them. How... How do you find how do you find an editor that's as good as someone that they might have worked with in in their traditional world? And and I will also mm. say that what a lot of traditional authors don't know is that those authors are working in the indie world too because they're <laughs> contractors. They're they're working on a contract <clears throat> for the publisher in a lot of instances. Yep, yep. The editors 
every editor you ran across uh, and worked with in the traditional publishing world is available in the uh, self-published world, every single one of them, uh, because uh, they're working for money. And if TradPub is only sending them, like Bain is only publishing, what, 50, uh, 60 books a year, something like that, it's, it's not a big number. So the editors are not overworked. Uh, they, some of them, if they really rely heavily on them, they may be, but uh, money talks. And mm-hmm. you can get access to, to editors. Uh, my editor that I have uh, one that worked for Bain uh, specifically as an editor. So I, I get every bit as good as uh, any anybody from the traditional publishing world gets. My timeline is eight days from when I t- type the end, seven to eight days until that book is ready to be published. I, I'm hybrid, and it took uh, three to four months from when I uh, finished a book until they were ready to publish it. And they considered that a monumental success. They were looking at uh, six months to eight months, but the book was done and, and in pretty good shape. So that's, they schedule it and uh, they didn't edit it for, I think 75 days after I turned it in because they said, well, it's not scheduled to be edited until then. Uh, I think because of cash flow, uh, which when you're an indie, you control your own cash flow. If you edit mm-hmm. it now, guess what? You can start making money on that book now. <clears throat> so, and one of the things that I've seen with regard to covers recently, and it, it's because I'm working with people like you ha- who always have fantastic covers, is that I see a lot of traditionally published books, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what are they doing with that cover? I, I and so the, I, the, the the fear of I'm not going to be able to get a cover that's as good as what I could get as as a traditionally published author is is just completely overblown. I, I think that's unfounded. I think a lot of uh, what. In the traditionally published world, and I'm not denigrating anyone. I mean, they sell a lot of books, and they mm-hmm. make and they make money for authors, and they, they and they're really authors. smart. They're really smart people that are in traditional publishing. So it's easy to think, oh, they, they don't know what they're doing. They oh. they can't keep up with us. They're smart people, and they know what they're doing, and they're figuring it out every single day. Oh well, they set the standard. Yes. They set the standard from 30 years ago, 100 years ago, whatever whatever it is, and and so uh, it's easy for us to look now and say, "Ha, we can we can jump past that because hey, we know what the standard is." Uh, for for uh, traditionally published, a lot of them are are seeking rewards, awards, and recognition on a stage that isn't the common readership. They're looking for like a, a, a literary, an artistic cover that may have nothing to do with what's inside the book. When readers are looking for something a little more, uh, hey, there's a picture of a spaceship firing at another spaceship on the cover. It's probably going to be military sci-fi. I mean, we 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 take that guesswork away about what's in the book. So that's a, I, I think that's a little bit of a difference. And what makes our covers so good is because it attracts the reader that we want to sell the book to. Okay, really specific question for you now, uh, again, about this traditionally published author who's getting ready to, to make the jump into self-publishing. How many books or how quickly would you want to release a new series? And let's assume this is going to be a brand new series. You're coming in, you've got some name recognition, but you're starting a new series. How quickly, what would your launch sequence be? You need to do a book a month. Okay. I th- especially if you're doing Amazon, because they recognize and reward uh, books that are released within 30 days each. Uh, they don't. Uh, they make it easier to find those books 
in under 30 days. So you release one, and 30 days later, you release book two. Then book one will jump up. Nothing sells a lax book like the next book. Uh, so keeping those that frequency. So if you can't release them and write them that quickly, then you might write for the first book, and you need to sit on it. But I would also say at that time, run it past your beta readers and make sure that the book is viable. Don't spend months writing three books mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you find that first book isn't, isn't, doesn't work with the readership. Is there a point when you can slow down? Sure, whenever you want to stop making money. <laughs> so your advice would be if you're running a series to continue <clears throat> to publish at least a book a month as, as long as you can. Well, if you're writing full time, that's not a hurdle that, or a step too high. Uh, it, but you have to do what works for you. Uh, and if that's six books a year, then, then it's six. If it's three, it's three. Just understand that after you hit that 30 days, now you need to spend more on marketing. And so your marketing budget goes up to maintain the same level of sales. So that's that's what you have to be aware of. So for a cash flow perspective, you're, if you make exactly the same amount of money month to month, your ad spend is going to go up to keep it there in between books. If you can publish books and you save on ad spend, you make more in your pocket at the end of the day. And that's that's the business me talking as opposed to the uh, uh, I can write a quality book in a month. And, yes, you can. I, I can guarantee that you can. You don't have to take three months. Actually, the books I write slower aren't as good. They're a little disjointed. So I need to write fast to maintain that storyline and the flow. I wrote uh, You Have Been Judged in 17 Days. And I think that is my best book. And the readers say that's my best book that I've ever written. So 17 days for 65,000 words. Okay, so there are going to be some people out there listening who maybe they're hearing your voice for the first time. Maybe they're hearing your name for the first time. Uh, in, In the indie world, that seems inconceivable, but it's that whole Harry Potter book thing. Where yeah. you do a billion dollars worth and you're only hitting 9% of the market. So we're hearing how quickly you write, how often you write, how many words you write each day. And somehow or other, you're also putting on multiple conferences, multiple indie book conferences around the world. Why? First, why did you decide to do that? And second, how are you doing it? Okay. Uh, uh, the conferences are uh, a pathological need to give back. Uh, to the world. So uh, between Michael and I, it's it's uh, we know this is the right thing to do to help indie authors uh, reach back and, and help them a, a step higher onto the mountain. So as we climb, we bring people with us. And as they climb, they bring people with them. And it's a it's a it's a whole movement uh, to help people help good authors find their way up the mountain and and sell more books, find better readers and keep readers happy. I, I love keeping readers happy. That's a great thing. So uh, with 20 books to 50K, the Facebook group, uh, mm-hmm. people were like, hey, this is okay, but we really need to meet. Uh, networking <clears throat> and meeting in person w- is really uh, uh, the way to go. And so we said, hey, how about, a, how about a conference? So I ran a poll, and 150 people responded, hey, it sounds great. So uh, we said, hey, how about Vegas? Because they could do conferences. It's not as hard to run a conference in Vegas because it's really uh, over 120 direct flights, 120 different cities fly directly to Vegas. So they make it really easy, and that's uh, that's what we went with. And uh, I set up a conference for 150 people, and and 433 registrations later, we ran 20 Books Vegas in 2017. Uh, so we upped it a little bit, 600, and and so we're at 689 as of today. 
uh, registered. We can hold a 720 for Vegas 2018. And the reason we're doing this is just to uh, just to give back, to meet people. It is so gratifying to hear the stories of, hey, boy, my career really took off after 20 books uh, uh, Vegas. Uh, we have a lot of those stories. Those people get up on stage in 2018, and we call it the two-minute drill, just where they get up and say, hey, here's where I was. We did this conference. It made it, – it shined the light on this thing. I did this thing, added it to my stuff, and all of a sudden now I'm making five figures. So big wins all the way around. We did 20 Books London to test that water, and mm-hmm. that was 150 people. We had chairs only and squeezed squeezed into a small space. And uh, Runny Meat on Tams really took good care of us. Uh, it was nonstop food. You you had plenty to eat for the whole conference. And, and that one, I charged 150 pounds because my Vegas experience was – Whatever they tell you the price is, add 31% for costs. Well, I did that in London, and no, no, the London, hey, no, this really is the cost. So Mm -hmm. we were able to refund 50 pounds for every uh, paid registrant. So that was was a good thing. So getting our numbers right and and also confirming we, we aren't in this to make money. It's about giving back. Uh, we have a great time. We travel, and we write it all off. Uh, so uh, we get around. Uh, we're going to Bali in January at a very, very exclusive uh, uh, resort for an exclusive get-together of uh, 40 to 50 authors and their families. Uh, then in Edinburgh uh, in Scotland in 2019, in the last week in July, we're doing a, a seven-day conference, a two-day conference, and five days of writing retreat. Uh, on both sides. So that will be a little bit different approach. And then uh, back to Vegas uh, in November. And we're going to lock down that first week in November and do conferences as long as they remain viable. So right now, at least through 2019, we'll do that conference in Vegas. But uh, 2020, I only see Vegas because they're they're a huge, huge time sink for me. I work 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week. And that's uh, and, and am only writing maybe 100,000 words a month. So if you work that much uh, and, and, and have that much time, you should either have better mental health, <laughs> better physical health, or, uh, or write more books. So, uh, now, have, have you, are you at 50% or 100% winding up in the hospital after these conferences? I, I am at about 50%. Okay. All right. I mean, you, you really pour your heart and soul into these things. I know people have accused me of not caring, but that, that it couldn't be farther from the truth because I, I do care, and I care so much about uh, about helping other people that I and I, I I'm sorry that I just don't have any more time to mentor individuals and do stuff like that. Now, one again, once again, that's why I wrote that book, uh, "Become a Successful Indie Author," is to help people without. Uh, uh, trying to add more hours to the day, which there simply aren't anymore. As it is, I only sleep five or six hours, as, uh, and that's not quite enough. So uh, we're trying to uh, stay out of the hospital as much as possible. Uh, my heart is doing crazy things, so uh, I have a cardiologist appointment coming up next week. Uh, so that's a, that's a total debacle, which is a different thing because I live in a small town, Fairbanks, Alaska. There's 30,000 people, so there's only one cardiology clinic. Mm. So, so no, no, uh, no alternative whenever they do crazy things. So, yeah, it's the opposite down here in Naples, Florida, where there's one cardiologist for every resident. <laughs> well, it's a lucrative market down there, uh, and a needed, a necessary market. So, uh, yeah, up here, people don't retire. Usually, don't retire and come to Fairbanks, Alaska in their in their old age. So, there isn't that much of a need up here. 
in terms of the the Twenty Books Conference, and I mean, you're putting you're putting the conference on, and so you are giving, giving, giving. But I know you're also learning. What's something that you've learned just from putting these conferences on? One thing that I knew and suspected was that your your high level authors, your uh, your very successful people are normal people just like you and me. I know some people consider me uh, uh, one of those, but I, I, I'm still an average guy. And when you talk to people, they're average uh, and good people too. Uh, what you learn at the conferences is you can talk to anyone. Most of, uh, most of us are introverts, uh, prefer not talking, uh, just go uh, uh, watch and listen and, and internalize everything that's going on. But when you're with your tribe, it's so much easier to have a conversation, talk about something important because you don't have to, uh, you don't have to go through the small talk of, Hey, what do you think about the weather? Boy, this is Vegas is really nice this time of year. Don't you think? <laughs> nah, all of that. What really matters is, uh, is, Hey, a uh, books, who are you? What, what genre do you write in? Oh my God. I love paranormal fantasy, romantic, uh, science fiction. What a great genre, <clears throat> uh, it, whatever it might be. And, and, uh, and you have that conversation and you, you talk about things that are matter to you uh, as opposed to like the weather or small talk, which is the bane of introverts existence. If you are if you are that traditionally published author out there, the hypothetical author that we've been talking about today, and you've been to normal author conferences, traditionally published author conferences, um, forget about all that. Um, this is not what we're talking about. It's, it is so different. 20 books is so different. These conferences are so different than anything you're used to. The only thing that's remotely similar is that there are people up on the stage talking, but the energy around the conference and the willingness of everybody to help everybody else is just so – I mean it, it was amazing. The, at 20 Books Vegas last year, it was it was like a love fest for indie publishing – and it was, I mean, it was the best conference I've ever been to. I haven't been to a lot, but I've been to a half dozen or so. <laughs> and it was so much better than anything I'd ever been to. It was amazing. And I, I, I can't wait for this year's conference. Oh, thanks, Steve. I, I appreciate that. The, uh, it, especially for a first conference, it really, really went well. Uh, I'm fanatical about time. So keeping a conference on schedule, I think, was a big win <laughs> in the first place. But uh, <laughs> One of the big things that we don't we don't need to tear anybody down, and that's our premise. We don't need to tear somebody else down in order to lift ourselves up. So, if you're Trad Pub and Trad Pub has uh, left you high and dry, said no, we're not going to renew your contract. We don't want any more of your books. I, I don't care. I don't need to talk bad about Trad Pub and say, oh my God, I can't believe they did that. No, nah, well, it's it's just a new opportunity. Great that they gave you an opportunity, and great mm -hmm. that uh, you have a new opportunity. Uh, uh, and here's what we can do to help. Here's how we've established our newsletters. Here's how we've uh, gained our audience. Hey, I'll share your new book because I know you can write well. Uh, all of that stuff, that's, that's what we do. We, uh, we look through the windshield, not the rear view, because the windshield is so much larger. And that, that world in front of you is a great place to see. All right. We've been speaking with international best-selling author and the godfather of the 20 Books Indie Author Conferences, Craig Martell. Craig, where's the best place for listeners to find you online? Uh, CraigMartell.com, C-R-A-I-G-M-A-R-T-E-L-L-E.com, or uh, Craig Martell on Amazon. You'll find all my books there as well. Uh, take a look. I have uh, a, a dozen different series at present. I'm sure you'll find something you like. I, I hope you do, I should say.
Yes, and uh, You Have Been Judged is the newest, which is absolutely fantastic. And if you are an indie author, you want to be an indie author, or if you're even curious about this whole thing about being an indie author, Become a Successful Indie Author by Craig Martell is a great place to get started. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we'll have show notes with links to everything we mentioned at theauthorbiz.com. And Craig, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks a lot, Steve. You are a fabulous host, man. Thank you.